Yo, what's up, everybody? Uh, it's another episode of Real Sankara Hours. Real Sankara Hours. Follow us at Sankara Hours on Twitter. Your favorite black Marxist, black radical podcast. Um, been in the game for a couple of months now, but we're... Yeah, I think the last one was 50 episodes. The yeah. last Patreon one we did, which yeah. is crazy. Like, when we started this, I I mean, I don't, I didn't think we were going to give up, but I didn't think we would hit 50 episodes in less than six months yeah um so been yeah we're grinding we're out here uh you know giving you the real stuff yeah and out here also uh being involved in the struggle in our own way as well in <laughs> each each of uh both of us um yeah we got a lot to talk about uh i'm sure you, i'm sure you guys heard that um u.s feds mostly mar- uh, federal wait marshals. we should introduce ourselves okay yeah um i'm adam hudson follow me at adam hudson five on twitter and i'm peter m gun follow me at m gun peter um yeah so yeah we have a lot to uh talk about where these things are going to weave into each other but um they're u.s federal agents uh killed in antifa protester in portland on september 3rd a couple days ago today is september september 7th 2020 um so we're gonna be talking about that and then also um trump cracking down on federal anti-racism training and then the declining white support for black lives matter but all these things are gonna weave into each other but yeah let's talk about like what happened in portland so just just i'll just give some i'll just give some basic facts about what happened and then we'll go from there so there was um okay so timeline so august 29th um there was a pro trump rally in portland with groups like patriot portland Pre- oregon yeah portland oregon not <laughs> portland maine portland oregon um it included groups like patriot prayer which is like there's a bunch of all these like various groups Por- of portland like- portland is like the granola and nazi capital Right. Yeah. So it's, there's it's like got a, both. It's got all the spectrum of white people. Right. And so th- there's just like a kind of kaleidoscope or mosaic, if you will, of all these far right, like far right white nationalist neo Nazi types. So um, there is a member. There's a far right militiaman and memberman member of Patriot Prayer named Aaron uh, J. Danielson. Um, and apparently, I, I apparently I looked this up. He was also um, in 2017. He was supposed to be part of a, a Trump rally to sort of, um, I think, like uh, in, in st- basically to incite street battles in San Francisco. Um, and Danielson was a supporter of um, Jeremy Christian, who was like I think a uh, some white supremacist who who shot up a, b- a bunch of people. I'll look him up and, and clarify that. Um, anyway, so. Aaron J. Danielson, he was shot and killed by an Antifa supporter who now we know his name. His name is Michael Forrest Reinal. Um, uh, Forrest Reinal gave an interview with Vice News, but a couple days ago on September 3rd, 2020, U.S. federal agents, it was a task Were, force. Weren't they quote unquote serving a warrant or something? Yeah, they were going to arrest him and then they killed him. And then whoopsies. <laughs> Yeah. Funny. So this Gun is, went off. This is some really 
uh just some really crazy it's an escalation shit. right uh, it's a yeah. categorical escalation and there are like i have some questions about um circumstances about this because just seeing because the whole thing is that antifa is not a group right an organized group and the uh the, uh i'm sorry what is his name the the guy who was um yeah who was killed, killed. yeah the wait the antifa or the yeah yeah the guy the feds shot what's uh, his name michael forrest Reinel. okay yeah i he was basically apolitical until about a month ago or at least his social media feed was and then he uh then he posted something that was very like i'm 100 percent antifa and you know we we will have to fight in there basically it kind of it re- it, it just kind of struck me a little bit weird like <laughs> the way because it's a documented thing that the fbi will entrap people into uh into i mean historic like their big the biggest thing they do is is muslims but they're they also do like white lefty anarchist types to entrap them into getting doing terrorism and then arresting them to basically be like oh look at this terrorism we stopped right. uh, give us yeah. more money and so we know that they run operations like that i'm not going to say that this guy was that because i don't like to make those kinds of accusations but the uh, there's look it's an election year stuff is always fishy um especially people who are ex-military not saying you know people who are ex-military are like that but it is (laughs) it like it's like the uh the dallas shooter um was remember that guy in 2016 you know, it, there's a lot, there's a level, like, those are, those are prime targets just because they've already been turned into killing machines by right. the, by the U.S. imperial apparatus, and they've inculcated the, you know, that ideology, and yes, obviously many of them do the actual correct work in unlearning it, but many of them don't, and so they kind of become useful whether or not it's intentional or whether or not it's by design they sort of end up becoming useful agents for these kinds of things and what this is is very it's a targeted assassination like they went there to kill that person yeah Um, let's be clear that's what it looks like and i just want to uh, clarify so jeremy christian so he was the guy on may 26 2017 May 26, 2017, in Port- Portland, Oregon. Uh, if you guys remember, there was um, an incident on a light rail train in Portland, Oregon. And uh, he was um, shouting racist and anti-Muslim slurs at two teenage black girls. Like, they're black Muslim girls. And then there was a white guy who came to their defense. And he stabbed one of them. He stabbed two men and injured a third. So that was um, Jeremy Christian. He had basically stabbed, yeah, two men for two two men who want who were defending these black yeah. girls who were being accosted by this this yeah this white supremacist. So the Aaron J. Danielson, the Patriot Prayer member who was killed in Portland by Michael Forrest Reinald, who was killed recently. Allegedly. So there's a lot. There, yeah. So there's a lot of like weird circumstances i want i just want to like kind of get this timeline so yeah jeremy christian's the guy who killed 
um, you know, who was involved in that uh, murderous uh, stabbing incident on a light rail train in Portland. Aaron J. Danielson, the guy who was killed in Portland, Oregon, who was a member of Patriot Prayer. Danielson was a supporter of Jeremy Christian. So, so yeah, yeah, the guy. Yeah, I mean, Patriot Prayer are the real Nazi types. And when I lived in Seattle, I would see them around and I will waste absolutely zero tears at any of them being killed. Um, I'm not going to pretend as though when I saw them, I didn't fantasize about doing exactly that uh, because that is kind of what they deserve. But it doesn't mean that like that's the correct way to go about this kind of stuff. Right. Yeah. And Patriot Prayer, they're known for organizing pro-Trump rallies and and far right protests in liberal areas. So um, Danielson, uh, he he was Tom. Uh, Patriot Parrot, they tried to incite street battles in San Francisco back. It was it was right after um, Charlottesville in 2017. So there's all this stuff like all these kinds of groups and individuals are connected. And I want to kind of make that clear because I think it's important for us to understand, you know, who these people are and how they're connected and how yeah. they're organized. Because, you know, there's Donald Trump, but then there's all these like different far-right white supremacist neo-nazi groups who um yeah like they have like it's a different um it's kind of like they're different flavors of white supremacist ice cream so it's like you have the mm-hmm. nazi flavor the, then you have like the QAnon far-right flavor then you have the total maga flavor then you have the total white supremacist flavor and then the white supremacists don't like the nazis because well the nazis they don't like jews the white supremacists are like, hey, Jews are white people too, so they're part of the white race. And Nazis are like, well, they, no, yeah. Jews, well, Jews are some not Some of them white. love Israel, and some of them yeah. don't. Or some of them, they, they can't even figure that out, because they're, despite their claims to being the master race, their complex thinking's not their strong suit. Right. Um, but yeah, yes. I mean, it's, it's important to understand that what happened was essentially a targeted assassination by agents of the U.S. government in retaliation for a member of a white supremacist group being killed. So that should tell you something. Yeah. Right. Like they understood that as, you know, one of their own in some way being hit. And so they have to hit back because it's an election year. And this this kind of stuff always, I mean, everything intensifies during an election year people are like man 2020 is crazy and it's like yes you can set your watch to this every four years shit gets kookier because it's just there's so much more attention and there are more stakes and stuff like this happens um and also i mean speaking of the police and the far right being one of their own um it's like that rage against the machine song that some of those who work forces are the same who run crosses. Whenever I listen to that time, like some. <laughs> so I mean, like, there's been a, a lot of evidence now, and I think ever since um, Kyle Rittenfuck or Rittenhouse, that's his real name, but Rittenfuck for the purposes of this of this podcast, <laughs> uh, when he you know shot and killed people in Kenosha, and there's a lot of video evidence showing that 
the police just like let him just like uh, whatever like oh you're just gonna come across state lines and kill people okay cool as long as you're protecting businesses kid okay it doesn't matter if you're underage as long as you have a white supremacist mother chaperone and the mom's like it's okay go ahead and shoot some people mom i shot some people good for you you're a real man now i'm so proud so proud of you my boy i'm so proud and then the other white people like the far right uh white supremacists are like well he just became a man right now yeah Yeah. and so you saw like the reaction of the police like they were very like i mean beyond treating him with kid gloves they basically like just let him do his thing and yeah so and so people are like wait a minute what the fuck well there's a lot of evidence that even the fbi has (laughs) fbi of, of all organizations even they admit this that a lot of white supremacists have infiltrated local law enforcement, which is like infiltrated. Oh, really? Oh, really? Like Infiltrate? Uh, more like um, <laughs> open the door right for them yeah. and just said, "Hey, walk right in. Come on." Well, it's all. I mean, it's a self-selecting group because it's like who wants to hurt people and who wants to hurt the mar- most marginalized people in the system. Oh, it's going to be racist motherfuckers. Yeah, and that and this is ties into because I think in the Vice interview, uh, the guy. Uh, I don't. I'm sorry. I don't remember his name. Who? Uh, oh, Rhinel Michael Forrest. Yes. Rhinel. Yes. I'm. I'm very sorry. Uh, he had said something along the lines of that he was leading towards a new civil war, and um, or he thought like I think he said like he he saw like that there's a yeah. civil war coming or something like that. Right? And and the problem I always have with the civil war framework is like, who are these? Who are these like racists who really want to like do a genocide, but just find like grow white people who grow up in America and are just like upset that it's just not racist enough such that they're going to take up arms against the government so that they can overthrow the government so they can do more racism. Like, no, any like people like the any competent person that wants to do genocide just joins the police or the feds they just join the government because you can if what you want to do is racism there's plenty of work for you in in the federal government or your local police force it's it's fine i mean it's not fine but like you can like (laughs) the people who like the militia types are like the second order of people who couldn't even like join the force right or they're that fucking crazy but they're too crazy to actually have a funk to like organize an actual army right like like though like those people are never going to be able to organize an army and political body capable of claiming sovereignty in a step beyond the existing state system and that's what you need for a civil war it's not just people fighting each other it's actual political claims and the white supremacist right the far right is never they're just never going to be so disenfranchised and so out of power to the point that they're going to actually need to do that what they will do is just become an appendage of the state to do this more dirty work that the state can then sort of keep its hands clean and you know that is how this country was built through self-deputized armed gangs of white people going out and doing genocide i mean alongside and in concert with official state forces and the ahmed arbery case 
that's a clear example because the men who the, the guys who killed Ahmed Arbery they were not police. I mean, one of them was a former cop, but like as an they, they were yeah, an ex cop, but they were not they were not members of official members of law enforcement. They were taking it upon themselves to kill a black person that they saw because yeah, as Peter said, like the, the, the machinery of racial violence in America has largely been exercised through the conventional domestic state apparatus. So local law enforcement FBI stuff like that, and now post nine eleven, we have stuff like D- DHS and other agencies. So I think like with the like DHS, I think is very important to look at as an agency, but you have to also look at it as in terms of how the American state apparatus has evolved over generations. So you do have yes, the slave catchers who became police, and then you have the FBI, which really like uh, there, there's a really good book by. Um, tim weiner called uh enemies it's about the history of the fbi but in the early uh, history- yeah and basically came out of the pinkerton squads right. right which were created to basically destroy striking miners right and that's they created the infrastructure that turned into the fbi right yeah so the fbi for the most part like especially when it was originally created um it was basically a secret police so when you look at agencies like the FBI and the DHS, like this is basically, you know, when people talk about secret police and abusive governments around the world, like that that's what it is here in America. This is what we have. Yeah. Like our secret police are these agencies. And um and they have like different you know, there's there's marshals and there's all these different agencies and they, they all have like their own different bureaucratic mandates and jurisdictions, yeah. but there's a lot of coordination between them. And so there's that there's that state apparatus which now like again be, again especially after 911 there's been more and more power given to that apparatus so like yeah. the the war on drugs gave particularly like the 94 crime bill gave more power to the police that they never that they didn't have yeah, before yeah gave them a lot more weapons mm-hmm. and <laughs> Right. Yes, and yeah, gang and created like all, you know all the gang tax force, which is, yeah. were excuses to have paramilitary weapons and do paramilitary type raids, um, which and, which and didn't exist up until that point. Right, and then um, before that, right around the time of like the the Black Liberation Movement of like the late sixties and early seventies, you had SWAT teams that were created, and that 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 the person who created that actually was. Uh, um, um, a former uh, U.S. commando in the Vietnam War. So he basically took nice. what he learned in the Vietnam War and applied it to yep. the United States in, in during a time of social unrest and created SWAT teams. And SWAT teams are are also used during the war on drugs, particularly f- for raids on you know people who they suspect of having drugs or some some shit like that. And oftentimes it leads to harm and killing of civilians, particularly black and brown people in black and brown communities so you have that you have SWAT teams then you have the FBI and then now like post 9-11 you have the DHS and the DHS are kind of like the new kid on the block because the FBI and yeah. all those other people are like what the fuck are you doing here right what, right what, they're right here? they're they're the professionals now and right it's like the, this is the guy who's just charged in guns blazing right. um but it's also very it's very important to understand that creation of the DHS alongside with sort of the massive empowering of the NSA and the creation of the warrantless wiretapping structure 
all that happened in the 2000s. And when, and I mean, some of you are not even old enough to remember this, but I remember they kept talking about the need to share information and all this stuff. And yep. the problem and the reason 9-11 happened is because they weren't sharing information, all this stuff. What that really meant is that like each different agency had basically their own intelligence Yep. operation their own surveillance operations yeah and they would yeah i mean there would be some small turf wars or something and so what the dhs was and the nsa and basically moving all of that under one umbrella was creating the totalitarian state everyone who read 1984 freaks the fuck out about they made it in 2003 it's already here it just hasn't had to be used because the left has been such a political non-entity. And that's the thing that people have to understand. Is all these things were created. They almost became a victim of their own success. Because they succeeded so well at neutralizing like any left movement. Or any black revolutionary movement. Such that you had all these you know, <laughs> like layers upon layers of repressive agencies. And no one to repress. Because they already succeeded at repressing anyone who might credibly pose a threat. But as the contradictions of capitalism accumulate and, you know, people get more and more dissatisfied with the system for various reasons, they're going to go back to their original function. Right, right. And and um, since 9-11, yeah, like there's been more power to the NSA and the war machine overseas and the domestic state apparatus. Um, and another thing... <clears throat> That happened in 2011 under um, President Obama, who everybody loves, was the assassination of a U.S. citizen in Yemen, Anwar al-Awlaki, which, you know, a lot of liberals at the time, I remember this, and I'm not going to make people forget, I'm not going to let people forget this, but there are a lot of liberals who were okay with that. And then there are people like myself who, who've been writing about these issues for a long time who said like, hey, wait a minute, this is this is a huge overstep like basically the president has the power because of the 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 targeted killing program and drone strikes the president basically has the power to decide who lives and dies globally under the rubric of okay like they they might they're they're affiliated with some sort of yeah. terrorist organization which, so which so is... now so now it's like with this rhinol killing that's happening like like think about this like all these liberals who were silent as church mice during the obama years when all the stuff was when obama was was rationing up this this apparatus like bush bush started all this stuff the post 9-11 stuff obama continued it and further institutionalized it now we have trump in office who has pretty much his hand on the drone killer the drone drone killer button um so now, like, with all this social unrest under someone like President Trump, Trump has a lot of power. Yeah, on, the DHS are his personal goon squad. Pretty pretty much, yeah. So I, I, I want to say that in context of the rhino killing, because um, we have this state apparatus where the executive branch and this, have this immense power to use against people they consider to be enemies of the establishment and i don't think that uh you know the left um honestly like as someone who's been involved in the anti-war movement like for years i think this is something that the left really dropped the ball on and i definitely noticed it during the obama years that 
the left was very good at critiquing Bush when it came to uh, the Iraq war and the oversteps like with the post 9-11 national security state. But during the Obama years, like the left was so pretty, I think pretty they anemic. still they, they still undersold it because they accepted basically the they accepted the general rubric of this is all necessary to fight terrorism. Right. And that right. terrorism posed such a, you know, Islamic terrorism posed such a civilizational threat that all these new agencies and the consolidation and, you know, all the new powers given under the Patriot Act, these were all necessary to fight whatever, like, constituted Al-Qaeda, right? Like, right. And, and then you find out that basically every single, like, arrest for terrorism was just an entrapment operation, like, mm-hmm. from post-9-11, like, almost all of them. And, it, yeah, it was, ne- like, it was, that was always the reason they were doing it. It was always to create the surveillance apparatus that they felt America needed to preserve the system and social order and the empire. Like, it's not like, and they still talk about freedom. It's, it blows my, it blows my mind. And they, you know, liberals with all of their unconfronted Islamophobia basically bought into the idea that there is a seething hate filled mass of Muslims, a bill, 1 billion strong that, you know, we're just, we're just waiting for any excuse to do violence against American civilians. And so even though they didn't didn't like the way the Bush administration was going about it, they still accepted the lie and the scam that like the, the that there was an actual purpose to all this. And there was, but it wasn't that. Right. It was it was it was about us. It was the right. whole time. Right. Yeah. And and so in addition to so to back to my earlier point, in addition to those uh those systems of institutionalized state violence to reinforce the the system of white supremacy um in addition outside of that like there are white vigilantes and just random white people who take it upon themselves patriots they say yeah pretty much to carry out the functions of the system to basically kill usually unarmed black people or unarmed like dark-skinned brown people even if they don't have any black like so um the, these groups like Patriot Prayer and um, all these other far right groups who are going to these protests like Black Lives Matter protests with guns, that's what they're doing. They're assuming yeah. and that goes back to even again, like uh, the the Ku Klux Klan, like the KKK was basically a domestic terrorist organization who were trying to carry out pretty much like because their thing was like, hey, look, the government isn't doing enough to kill black people. So we'll do it. Yeah. Yeah. They were they weren't doing enough to preserve the old planter class slave owning social order. So they were, you know, self-starters, entrepreneurial types. Right. And they went out on their little night rides to do terrorism um, so they could get their, you know, precious little southern society back. Um, I and eh. in the context of this, I want to bring up uh, two uh, local cases that I've been looking at. Um, so, in Antioch, California, there is a hunger strike going on. There's there are a couple um, activists who are going on hunger strike who are demanding um, a, a police officer to step down, the a member of the um, local POA police police officer association to to also step down 
and um, community representation in this like bridge the gap program that the city that the city has. Um, so these are six activists in the in the community who are going on hunger strike. And to keep keep, keep in mind, like California right now, we're going as I as I speak, we're going through a very intense heat wave. So you know they're out there doing a hunger strike yeah. in 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 like triple digit heat. So. And a lot of community has shown support for them. Oh, by the way, so um, there is a man uh, in San Francisco a couple of years ago named Luis Gongora Pat who was uh, killed by San Francisco police. Um, the officer who killed him, um, he is no longer in SFPD, but he's now in Antioch Police Department. So it's it's like the Catholic Church; they just reassign you. Yeah, yeah. Say Michael, you're sorry, and then they'll just re- reassign you. Yeah, Michael Malone. Um, Michael Malone. So that's the officer who killed um, uh, Lu- uh, Luis Luis Gongora Pat in San Francisco, um, and also Luis Gongora Pat's cousin. Uh, he's also hunger striking in Antioch, and then um, they also they're also calling for the immediate resignation of Steve Aiello as the president of Antioch Police Officers Association. Um, and also, yeah, the integration of community representatives as uh, part of the city's bridging the gap forum. So they, they, these are pretty, like, I think, pretty solid, straightforward demands. But what's been happening lately is they I've been watching some of the videos on social media. They've been getting some very um, harsh intimidation from basically local white people in Antioch. Like some of them are like there is a video of... Uh, a Trump supporter who told him like, Hey, look, if you guys keep doing this, uh, some, some people might come and like beat you up, like kind of like basically threatening them. And then yeah. uh, one of them, like, cause these activists, like they're young, I think they're in their twenties. And they said like overnight, like there are people driving by kind of threatening to run them over. So, so there's that going on over a base, yeah. pr- some pretty simple demands. And then also in Walnut Creek, which I talk about a lot, there, there are um, people who've been protesting regularly to get justice for this young man, this young black man named Miles Hall, who was killed by Walnut Creek police last year. They've been doing regular protests, and these are mostly white folks. But like, I, you know, these these are like when people talk about allyship and camaraderie, like I respect that. Like, they're, they're if 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 these are white folks living in a rich white city protesting um, against police injustice, that that's that's good but even them they've been getting a lot of pushback and intimidation from white people in walnut creek which i'm not surprised knowing how walnut creek is but i wanted i wanted uh i wanted to highlight that basically because you know like these kinds of protests which a lot of them are like you know they're not a lot of them aren't calling for super revolutionary demands but some very basic important reforms and even that, like, there's still a lot of pushback because there's a deep underbelly within white America that is so invested yeah. in its white superiority that any mild pushback, they will resort well, to well, they just, inti- yeah. intimidation or outright violence. So I'm going to – I'm actually going to just, just – um, to wrap this part up to wrap well, well i want i want Go to ahead. add on to that or maybe we can transition into it because the same thing happened in portland maine where i live right yeah now. yeah go ahead yeah uh because there was a 
there was a planned uh, Black Lives Matter rally in basically by the police station, which is near sort of the kind of tourist area where all the bars and stuff are. And it was planned during Labor Day weekend, which was like the biggest weekend of, you know, tourism season in Maine. And so, it you know, it would have it would have it would have upset a lot of the, you know, people who come up, all the tourists who want their little Maine-cation. Um, it would they wouldn't have appreciated it. And the police were very uncooperative. But on top of that, they got so many death threats that they had to cancel the event. And there were people even commenting on the post being like, yeah, you know, we don't want that stuff around here, which is to say that there are, I mean, white people are feeling themselves right now. Uh, the backlash is coming. Um, error, it's already here. And, you know, they're <laughs> like, like that, like it really disturbs me. I mean, we are still in Trump's America where like all those people aren't really afraid to do terrorism um, of varying forms or intimidation. And it, you know, hot, like coming up on an election, it's, you know, it may be that like, yeah, the, the fires of racism may be sufficiently stoked. I know that, I mean, I don't want to get too much into the election, but uh, I mean, they're running on basically right by, you know, it's the same shit Republicans always do. It's not like a categorically more, you know, different because it's Trump. They always run on law and order and like, oh, Democrats support looting and, you know, lawless cities and stuff. And it works. And that's why they keep doing it. And it's just it's it's infuriating to me. Uh, to watch, you know, even people who are just trying and or, you know, people who aren't even like as radical degenerate communists as, you know, me or perhaps Adam is to still have to deal with all this bullshit, um, you know, when they're just trying to even do the quote unquote right thing. And it's it's also frustrating because like all these stupid fucking idiots who feel triumphalist about them about be oh wow you made death threats against some like 22 year old organizer real good stuff guys you are yeah real patriotic you really you really uh lived up to your values doing that i mean like like how are you proud of yourself for this shit like like how pathetic are you like as i mean you're not even really a person at this point like i don't see you as such um and i don't see you as deserving the rights like a human has and i try to be a little mindful of the fact that like you're not like you are just a an idiot who doesn't have the capability to think for themselves and realize that like this is a scam um the idea that you can keep things out you can keep this kind of stuff out of your state or your city or whatever like that's the only reason that's what you hang your identity on is basically uh yeah the ability to stop other people from demanding to be treated like humans that's like you're proud of that shit. You're proud of that shit. Like, good job. Like, fuck you. Like, fuck you guys so hard. But that's the that's America. That's that's the country we live in. That's this system, and it's going to continue. That's what it's been, for, you know, since day one. It's the reason this place. Ex I mean, it's the reason this thing called the United States of America exists, and it's what it will continue to be until anyone builds something powerful enough to overthrow it. Yeah, and um, 
excuse me. Uh, what I wanted to mention is, um, uh, I plan on going, going to the hunger strike and, and talking to the protesters and, um, hopefully get some, um, an interview with them and get some good audio for, for y'all. Um, just, just to listen and, you know, get, uh, get their perspective and see how they're doing. Um, because when I heard about the pushback they're getting, like that did really worry me about their overall well-being on top of just the heat wave. Um, so I'm, I'm gonna, yeah, talk to them and, um, upload the audio and that, that should be up hopefully by next week. Um, also, uh, there, there is, um, a young man named Michael Sampson. I think he's around our age. So, I mean, yeah, it's not much younger than we are, but he's, he's running for city council in Walnut Creek and he has a very progressive platform. Um, I was, I was list I was on a, um, I was listening to this live stream for our revolution Contra Costa. So the Contra Costa County chapter of our revolution, um, and our revolution, uh, uh, endorsed him and a couple other progressive candidates who are running for local positions in the county um so michael sampson yeah he has a very a very progressive platform and he's very emphatic about challenging white supremacy locally um and defunding the police and so i was um i was asked by someone in his campaign who i know personally she's she's someone i know in the local music scene so she's involved in his campaign she reached out and asked uh if i would like to do a music performance for the fundraiser for his campaign so i agree to that um so i'll definitely you know be giving um updates on some of the local activism going on here as it relates to challenging systemic racism um, but getting getting back to uh, yeah, just I I read this um I read this poll. It was in it was first I first saw it in I think it was yeah Boston yeah Boston Globe. That's where I found it. Yeah, it was in Boston Globe, and it pointed out that white people's support for Black Lives Matter is declining, which mm-hmm. is uh very interesting shocker of the century <laughs> um so let me let me pop i it thought up. this oh. time it was going to be different and they were like actually you know yeah allies and in solidarity or something uh, uh, so the thought? the article is uh yeah this is in boston globe support for black lives matter is dropping among white americans and it points to a yougov um an economist poll and it said in june 45% of white people surveyed by YouGov slash The Economist said racism was a big problem. By early August, that number had fallen to 33%. They oh, shit, we solved racism. Wow. <laughs> when did that happen? They aren't, and the article continues, they aren't just ignoring injustice, they are ignoring democracy. Three months ago, white people were cramming as if preparing for a standardized test on systemic racism. On a New York Times paperback nonfiction bestseller seller list 13 out of 15 books dealt with race or racism several of those books remain on the list yet with racial tensions omnipresent one has to wonder if enough white people are reading them or just curating their bookshelves um of course the boston globe would be like but you didn't actually read white fragility 
That's the problem. Yeah, this is uh, this is an opinion piece by Renee Graham, but I that number um really struck struck me. And then oh yeah, there's a CNN poll points out a week after George Floyd's killing, a CNN poll found that uh forty two percent said that race relations were extremely important to their vote for president. Um, I think this is okay. This is, I think this is forty percent. 42% of white people. So basically, yeah, during the height of the post-George Floyd protest, there was a lot of support among white people for Black Lives Matter and, and just overall support for the urgency to deal with the problem. But now, like, within two months, support dropped by 12%. Which, um, yeah, it's like, okay, well, uh, wonder what happened to that 12%. Like, were they... What's, go- what's, what's going on here? But I, I, I thought of that because of um, just seeing some of the stuff that's been happening here locally. Um, it seems to me that, like, at least among, like, white America, like, like there's, there's white people who I think, like, genuinely care about the issue, but, like, there's different sort of um, scales of one's uh, consciousness in terms of how, like, conscious and and how much they how, how how devoted they are to actually doing something right so there's like kind of varying skills in that and then there's like i think this a sort of um i guess like the average white american or average member of white america who's like you know they saw george floyd get killed and they're like oh shit like that was that was fucked up because i do remember like there were some people who previously who are normally like pro cop pro blue lives matter but then they saw the george floyd video and they're like okay even that's like fucked up like that yeah but 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 after i think you give it you give it some time and like that sort of fades from some people's memory and then what they do pay attention to is like oh fuck we're sick of the protesting we're sick of the looting and yeah yeah and so you're not sick of it like you're not like it didn't affect you it didn't affect the vast majority of white people you just are yeah, you don't like hearing about it. Well, yeah, you, I I can tell you people don't like living it even less. Right. Uh, or they like living it even less. You don't like hearing about it. Fuck off. I mean, I or was it or is it just a basketball came back? I mean, football isn't even back yet. So I don't even know what their excuse is. But it makes sense because here's the thing. And this is why materialism of the dialectical sense is important because you can have the experience of watching, you know, the murder of George Floyd and that can do something to you and it can change you and you can feel like you have changed your mind about something. But then once that feeling fades, you go back to the same material conditions that you were in before it. Society mm-hmm. hasn't changed. Social relations haven't changed. The system, you know, the economic system, political economy hasn't changed. You are back in the place where you were. You're back in the system that does, is designed to benefit you at the oppre- expense of the oppression of others. And none of that's actually been threatened. And so, of course, barring a heroic, you know, mental effort of your own volition, if you don't do, if you don't actually take the steps to rearrange your own life, to make this a thing that you actively, consistently work on, 
then of course you're just gonna be like, oh, is that still going on? I don't even, I don't believe in that. I yeah, it's, you know, I don't believe in their aims or their goals, and I'm not going to. And of course, since I'm an American, it's my right to have the stupidest fucking opinion and say it as loudly as possible. And so I'm not even going to actually understand what's going on or like what it is or how the media distorts any story or like who Black Lives Matter as an organization even is. Instead, I'm just going to be like, I don't like looting. Like, who gives a shit what you like or don't like? Fuck off. People have died and are still dying for this. And you fucking like this is why we can't trust you people. Like, I'm sorry, you people, but it's like this is why, like the like no movement like of black liberation can ever be dependent on like majority white support. It just right. can't. Right, right. I mean, this is I, I brought this up because I said this, I said this a while ago. I I so on social media I've said this, but and I probably I'm sure I said this on his podcast. Um, I'm sure you listeners, like if you've been paying attention, you probably heard me say it. But basically, like you know, there is that point where there's a lot of like white people going to oh now i remember yeah i have said this on the podcast i forgot which episode but i've definitely <laughs> said this before <laughs> this is what happens when probably you multiple up. episodes we do tend to repeat hammer home some particular points right so this is actually a point i do want to hammer home because i did say that i was um you know the number of white people at the black lives matter protests i thought was remarkable in an objective sense because i had never seen it before but it did raise the question for me like okay who's who's going to be in this for the long haul like who's really committed versus like are they a seasonal ally like are they just going to be there when it's easy for them and then when things get too rough they decide like they decide to step out because a real ally i mean the the term ally has been abused so much that yeah. I, I think it bears like, didn't, we, didn't, didn't, didn't we do an episode on accomplices not allies yeah we did but it's something again it's like it bears repeating because i think it's important that you know a true ally or a friend they're going to be with you even during the rough times or even during the times when they may not want to do it but what's important is that they care about you as a friend like that's a friend and so, um, this is why, like, I mean, when Peter when Peter says, like, you know, you you know, we can't trust you people, is is it really sounds like, look, it's like, if black people are trying to fight for our own freedom, we can't rely on people who are only going to be in it when it's easy for them, because that's not how we get our like our problem is to, our freedom is too important to wait for someone who is not in it for the long haul. I'll just say it like, p- people like that are dead weights. Like, they're dragging you down. Like, if you're trying to be free and liberate and be a human being, and if someone says they're an ally, then they have to be with you 100%. They can't just go in and out when it's convenient for them. because that's And then, being... and then have opinions about methods and, like, right. oh, well, this right. is where that's you lose me, okay? As though like, this, just, well, yeah, the movement yeah, was dependent like, on your ass who couldn't organize their way out of a paper bag. Yeah. Did... Yeah. Well, or it might be being an ally, but it's not being a comrade. Right, exactly. Right, exactly. Yeah, that's not, that's yeah. not, that's, you know, when people say being an ally or a comrade, like, you, people really have to understand what that means. 
not not just like in terms of a, a strict definition, but like what it means in the real world. And so this article, like that poll proves my point, which is that, oh, okay, like the number of white people who are at the protests, not all of them, or at least like the number of people who are at, either at the protest or posting stuff online about, you know, blacking out their uh, Instagram picture or whatever. But most, a lot of those people were not in it for the long haul. They weren't in it for the right reasons like they weren't in it because they truly believed it it was because like oh okay like yeah this is the thing i have to talk about oh yeah they felt like they needed to say something and that not saying something was bad um (laughs) a good example is i know you are no fans of them and i only pretend to defend them because they're from columbus but tyler joseph of 21 pilots made a joke about using his platform um and <laughs> got like roasted on twitter for it and basically is, the joke was uh everyone's saying i should use my platforms and then he posts a picture of himself in platform shoes and then he had to go on a whole do a whole twitter thread of apologies <laughs> um to be like no i actually do support black lives matter it's like no i mean you didn't you don't care like you don't care i'm sorry dude you're from fucking worthington you don't give a shit um, I know I know where you're from. <laughs> I know that's that's a place where there are no black people intentionally. Right. Um, and it's yeah, it's like, yeah, the white people, a lot of white, like the ones who are the real ones are the ones who show up and most of them don't. And it's funny because everyone is complaining about clicktivism or whatever social media performativity. But then they hop right to it when they feel the need to do it or something like they still believe in it, even though they think they like complain about virtue signaling or whatever, they still want to do it because that's, they don't actually want to risk anything. They, they see the images and they, you know, maybe read some statistics and maybe they know they, you know, they have a black friend who, you know, they used to just smoke weed with and, Oh, now he's like getting woke or something. And so they feel bad about the society or they feel bad about things, but their lives and their livelihood and their future isn't right. implicated. And until they do things such that they are risking, you know, at least at the very least, like their future in that petty bourgeois society, um, then they're not going to then. Yeah, they're just going to show up. And I mean, if you're lucky, they'll donate some money and then. <laughs> They'll just, you know, go back to the suburbs. Yeah, and... and and I remember I said in an early episode that, like, if white people are going to join, they have to, they're going to have to give themselves up and be join it 100%, which is that, like, yeah, the, the, the struggle for black liberation for black people, for us, is a matter of life and death. It's not something that we can just opt in and out when convenient. It's something we have to deal with by the fact that we are the descendants of enslaved Africans who were brought here to the United States against our will and have been like our struggle is basically one of survival essentially. So it's a matter of life and death. It's not something that's like a struggle you're born into because you read the right books or, or you, 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 or, or watch the right show or whatever, like, you know, uh, woke recipe that people have cooked up with to be like the most sufficiently woke <laughs> it's something that like you're born in like I, look I, I i can speak for myself uh just in my own upbringing like i was i was learning about 
black history and the civil rights movement and the black struggle since I was a teenager. Like the first, I, I knew who Marcus Garvey was before I knew who Karl Marx was. I was exposed to Marcus Garvey when I was 14, but that's because like I grew up in a family in a community like family and like close family friends where that was part of who we are. And it's because that's how we survive as a people is by learning about this stuff. It's part of our history and our heritage as a people, like the struggle, along with all the good stuff about our, our culture, like the music and food and, 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 and our intellectual tradition, literature and all that. Like the, the, the political, the black political struggle is something that like, I can definitely say for myself, I was born into because it's something I had to be born into in order to survive in this thing called America. And that's what what really drives a lot of my activism, and why I'm in a why I'm I am in a Pan Africans organization, and why I'm doing a podcast like this, and why I've I've devoted, you know, a good chunk of my life to writing about injustice against Black people and all their oppressed peoples because I was born into the struggle, so it's not something that, that I can just like, just leave because, even if I leave the struggle, I'm still Black, and that thing called systemic racism mm-hmm. is, is always going to be there until the world we live in fundamentally changes. So this struggle for a lot of us, for a lot of black people is one of life and death, like it's survival for us. But I think because yeah, like for white people, like they don't like, look, you don't have that history of slavery. I mean, some of you like probably look, if you looked at, if you look down like your family tree, pretty sure some of you got slave masters in your line. Um, they're at least overseers. I mean, there are a lot of people who are like, I family ever owned no slaves. But yeah, okay, your great granddad was an overseer. All right, right it's not right. better. Or or if they didn't own slaves, like they benefit, they or they're a, or they're a slave patrol. Or they benefited from a system that gave yeah. other white ethnic groups privileges that they wouldn't give to black people. You know, so so they like even like you know white people who come from like okay uh poland or ireland or or italy like okay yeah your family probably did not own slaves but when you came here to america you benefited from the fruits of america that exist because of slavery and genocide and you were able to assimilate into a white american society because of this thing called white skin and white privilege you know that transcends like whatever like if you're german or dutch or irish or italian you're still white like you're of european ancestry you're still white you can still assimilate into a white american society and reap the benefits of a white american society that's what it means to be white and to have white privilege being black like you don't we don't get to reap those benefits even though even though our ancestors built the fucking economy that allowed this basically allowed this goddamn country to be uh, an empire in the first place so you know, so for us, it's, 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 it is, it's survival. And because, you know, white people's position is different, that's, it's going to explain like why a lot of white people are able to join the protest and then leave when it's convenient for them because they can still retreat to their white way of life and the comforts of white American society. But the thing is, the comforts of white American society um, is on the backs of other people. It's on the backs of black people, yeah. indigenous mm-hmm. people, and other people who were and and exploited laborers exactly. all across the globe. Seven Earth lifestyle, exactly. baby. Yeah. That's, so uh, <laughs> that's the that's the shit you're like these white these patriot prayer motherfuckers are willing to commit genocide to defend is 
you know, so is the fucking suburb exurban house that where you have to redo your garage because you got a truck that's too big to fit into the garage. So now you need to get a contractor out here to make to make your garage bigger so you can drive three miles to the grocery store because you live like literally on like <laughs> something that should be forests. And- like yeah, and, the, and, yeah, and those white shit. people who I'm talking about who are getting angry at these protesters, and some of the protesters are white because, like I said, like you know, there there are gonna be some white people yeah. who do care, who are like, oh hey, yeah. this actually, yeah, but the thing... it, a number a number of white people have died in these protests, yeah. and you know, those are those are you know, those are people who. Were willing to risk exactly. their lives, exactly. You know, for the, because they understood a common humanity, exactly. and they don't, and they're also able to not to understand that this is a thing that goes away because politicians do something like that's not how this works. That's how the media and Democrats want you to think it works, and also Republicans because on on a, in a different way, but that's not how it's ever worked. It doesn't go right. away. But they, but, but the genocidal impulse I find so often is just wanting this thing to go away and not caring how. And if people have to be murdered in order for it to go away so you don't have to hear about it, then you're fine because it's not your family getting murdered. It's someone else. And you live in a society, in a land, in a country where like all the social bonds and like understandings of, the sacredness of human life have been completely torn to shreds and you are just you know your atomized shitty human being i barely human being uh, that watches tv that you know wakes up and goes to a wakes up in a box gets in a box drives to a box and then goes home back to your box and eats and eats food that comes in a box right like like you are like yeah those people they, yeah, they, 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 I don't know what to say about them other than, well, you know, stop. Well, I mean, idiots. like the people, the, 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 the white people I'm talking about who are at these protests in yeah. Walnut Creek and Antioch and pushing back yeah. against the protesters, some of whom are white, who are protesting for basic demands for humanity like not like a revolutionary transformation of society but like just some basic elements to live in a decent society they're the white people who are pushing back against that they are more invested in their white superiority and their white way of life than they are in a humane society and that's what i mean like that there there are a lot of white people in the united states because they enjoy reaping the benefits of a white American society, even if it comes to the expense of other people. And that's what Trump represents. When he's talking about law and order, he's talking about law and order to maintain a society like that. I mean, there was um, just recently he his he announced his administration announced that uh, they're going to be removing federal anti-racism <laughs> training and cracking down on schools who teach the 1619 project which i mean those are like i mean if you th- libs played themselves with right that i mean I'm those sorry. are like probably the most mild piecemeal reforms but th- those those actions i think reveal what trump is about like if this if it hasn't been made clear before but it's just it's it's more and more clear every day yeah. that he is he is showing himself as a president to 
defend that idea of America being a purely yeah, white society. That. Like that's that's what he's defending, and that's that's what's motivating mm-hmm. his base. That's why so many people are supporting him because a lot of his base see these Black Lives Matter protests or um, demands for having like a more a more woke uh, Marvel series. They see it as like this is a threat to that white American society that they know and love, and they're willing to fight tooth and nail or even with bloodshed to protect it. And 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 they may not be wrong. I mean, they may not be wrong in the sense that you can't have the social fiction of whiteness that's, you know, immersive enough to actually stamp down class consciousness among white workers um, and also be also have woke representation at the same time. You can't actually hold both at the same time. And so they are constantly going to be in tension with each other and they'll you, they'll give a little bit to one side and then the other side gets upset and so they'll give it to the other side and i mean what was it fucking bud light uh yeah the fucking budweiser twitter account like retweeted a white supremacist meme um like insincerity <laughs> um like they reject modernity embrace brace tradition it wasn't even like they're making fun of the meme like they were doing it in sincerity and you i absolutely foresee like that kind of stuff coming Achieve, achieving more mainstream acceptance especially if you know trump gets uh i'm not, I'm not even gonna say like the word if he gets reelected because that's i don't think that's a good way to understand what's going to happen in two months but you know if he comes out of it still president then there yeah there's going to be a retrenchment and there's going to be more white revanchism and you know because this stuff goes in waves like the lot the arc of history does not always bend towards justice, okay? It's a sinusoid wave mm-hmm. at best. Um, it, it goes up and down, up and down. And when one pole gets too upset, then they, the ruling class tries to recalibrate and go the other way. And then they get upset. And, you know, it's it, all that. It just keeps it's a It's a pendular system. It goes from one side to the other. And then, you know, after the end of that, then they'll get some dipshit progressive, you know, maybe. Or maybe not. I I don't really believe that Trump is a categorical threat to the American system. Um, but it's, you know, it's going to be a terrible, like, it's like, I. but it, it may work. I mean, he may he may pull it out. I mean, look, no, no one can blow shit better than the Democrats. And there's no vision. They don't have any vision. Like, as terrible and horrifying as the vision of Trump's America is, it's a vision. There's no vision of a of Biden's right. America. It's literally a blank right. slate. So that's honestly, elections come down to who has the more compelling narrative. Yeah. Um, not for not necessarily to motivate voters, but to get enough buy-in in the ruling class. And if they can't do it, if the Biden campaign can't do it, then we're going to be stuck here, and it won't. Nothing will change, and they'll blame the and MSNBC will blame the left. And, you know, all the faithful Democratic voters will eat that up and they'll become more triggered and more apoplectic and more horrified than I can do anything. And, you know, five more years of sliding towards tomorrow yeah. or four or however long. Yeah, I mean, this is uh, I I remember we were saying that um, we had brought up uh, the. Wall Street was putting more bets on Biden to win, but I think post 
Kenosha. Um, like I think the I don't want to say things have changed, but I noticed a shift that like that dip in mainstream white support for Black Lives Matter. I noticed it right around like I say, I mean it's September, so basically right around last month. So I think I don't. I'm I'm kind of at the point where it's like I'm I'm not even gonna try to even predict who's going to quote unquote win this election. I'm I'm more thinking about like okay uh what do we do regardless of who wins um and how do we prepare for that and the 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 thing that's on my mind is because this this something like i've you know i know uh even there are white people who i know or who, who i used to know i'm no longer friends with them but i've i've known quite a few white people who have become a lot more MAGA or QAnon or far right, and I've had to defriend them from Facebook. I mean, these aren't people who are like super close friends of mine, but like they're people like you know I've known just through through inner circle like circles of relationships and whatnot. As you you know get to know people and bounce in and out of different circles in your life, and um, it really made me think like, huh, there really is like an underbelly of white American society that's that's silent, but they're seething pissed. The, the, the silent yeah. majority. And, Good old and, Richard and Nixon. some of those people are not so silent, and they're the same ones who are yelling at protesters yeah. in Antioch and Walnut Creek. Protesters who are calling for the basic minimum standards of justice and humanity. Like, they hate that shit. And I, this is something that, like, look, the liberal Democrats, like, they are not fucking prepared for this at all. Like, the Biden camp, the Kamala, like, if they really <laughs> think that the way to defeat, like, that seething underbelly is to, like, okay, we're going to have Biden, like, bring America or whatever the fuck he's like. If they think, like, that's going to win, like, they are, uh, they, they have got to be. The stupidest I, I, yeah, party I mean, that's they, ever existed on the on the planet. They well, they're not. They, I mean, you gotta just remember what their job is. I mean, right. it's like we already went through this in two thousand, and I know some of you aren't old enough to. Some of you might not even have been alive when that happened. But yeah, they the Republicans stole yep. an election, and that was a, like that. over. That was not over any level. Like George W. Bush is not understood to represent any particular form of fascism at the time. Other than just sort of the garden variety fascism that has in existed in America since before fascism was even a concept, uh, you know. And if uh, I mean, one thing I will say is the Democrats are touting they got fucking Rick Snyder, who is responsible for the Flint water crisis. Like, oh, even he's against Trump. Like, they're proud of this, but they don't not they're not getting like are they getting secretary the secretaries of state in swing states? Because that's who actually decides right. the elections. And that's who the Bush campaign had mm-hmm. locked up. Such that when it came down to it, they knew how the election was going to go because they had their people in place. And do you think the Biden campaign, which didn't even have a fucking field operation in Iowa, is going to have its people in place when they basically all they did was hire like the flunkies from the Ro- from Carl Rove to do all this shit? I I mean maybe they do, but I'm not holding out. Yeah, it. Um, you know this is uh, I I want to say we're in for a rough ride, but like, hey, it's already been rough. I mean, like, 
you know, we're going to be seeing, I'm pretty sure we're going to be seeing more, more of this, but I think the real thing is, um, to be prepared for it. And, um, you know, like, cause I think the thing is, I think even if Biden wins, I'm not saying he will, but like in the scenario that he does win that underbelly of white revanchism, it's not going to go away. So, and they're just, you know, they're, they're still going to have political influence as well, like in other sectors of American society. And the, you know, neoliberal Democrats, like, you know, they're not going to, they're not going to do anything to defeat that faction, but they're still going to maintain the system of, of, of systematic racist oppression. So, you know, when it comes to these issues, like I'm, I'm largely very agnostic about like, you know, which party's better like i don't i usually don't like those discussions about like uh vote for less of two evils harm reduction do you, do you want to be it's not yeah it's not like oh one yeah it's not even like being stabbed three inches or being stabbed six inches it's do you want to be like bludgeoned in the face with a club or like stabbed with a sharp knife because one's blunt force and one's refined right. force i mean some people would rather be bludgeoned with a club and some people would rather be stabbed with a sharp knife. Um, <laughs> and I would... that It's not It's not lesser versus greater evil. It's blunt force versus refined force. And I would rather be like, uh, I'm going to prepare myself in case that shit does stab or beat me up. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to fight back against it. Like, that would be my option. Like, instead yeah. of just, you know, reducing our political options to just like, okay, you either vote for Biden or a third party. It's like, look, I, don't, I really don't fucking care uh this is, this is this election is probably the most apathetic i felt about any election because it's just like things are so bad <laughs> and so uh, apparently bad and the, in terms of crises multiplying together that like even with a biden presidency it's just like it's still gonna suck i mean it'd be it'd be nice <laughs> i mean yeah, look i don't i, I don't want to see I, trump's fucking face yeah. in the white house like that'd be nice but i'm, I'm i don't yeah, I mean, I'm curious as to, like, how a Biden administration would fuck everything up. I'm yeah, upset, I wonder how but... that's going to work. I'm just, I'm just wondering I'll, if he's going to, like, how, what the fucking debates are going to be like. Or if they're going to have debates. Oh, I don't know. God. But. Yeah. I think they are. Um, but I, I don't yeah, want to think about I, it. Uh, anyway, uh, we got to wrap this up because we're doing a, a long, we're doing a marathon back-to-back -back session. So we're gonna if if you've been wanting if you want to hear about um, Rachel Dolezal yeah. two point um, subscribe to our Patreon yeah patreon.com slash real sankara hours five dollars a month gets you bonus episodes of takes of the you know takes and theory readings and uh, we've been reading uh, Richard Wright the guy who wrote the man who wrote Native Son who went to the Bantung conference in in 1955 and wrote about it. Uh, and we'll talk about that next week. So subscribe to check that out. And uh, yeah. yeah, so um, yeah, support us on Patreon. Um, also support the rest of the Resistance Noir network. Um, that That's it for us for, well, for, for this episode. Uh, it's not quite it for us today because, yeah, as Peter said, we're going to be recording another episode but that's it for this episode um keep the faith and stay Peace. dangerous
Yeah.